an encouraging word from the scriptures and first Peter chapter 1 perhaps one of your favorites will be uh, the object of our contemplation and reflection this morning let's go to the Lord for prayer now Heavenly Father we look to you we love you we ask that the Holy Spirit would prepare our hearts we need to be lifted up comforted edified, strengthened, and that's exactly what your word promises, that you would build us up and renew our minds and strengthen us by the power of your word. Have your way in our hearts and lives. Many hurting people, many struggling with all kinds of things that we haven't even talked about. But you know the secrets, Lord. You know what's going on in the hearts of your people. So we pray that you minister to them now. Give them hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was very young, first and second grade, actually, I had a very, very favorite television show. Uh, Perhaps you will recognize this famous family from the 60s, all lost in space, lost in space. And I mean, I could tell you their names. It started out in... uh, 1966, and it was in black and white. It finished up three years later in color, but, you know, it didn't matter because we didn't have a color TV. (laughs) But I love this show. You know, I wondered why I was so obsessed with this show, and I was, man. I knew every Wednesday night, oh, man, it's coming on. My parents used it to discipline me. (laughs) That's how much I loved the show. And so... um, I, the, the part, uh, what I identified in, with it, I should say, was uh, being lost in space <laughs> because I was in a situation at home in a, in, with some dysfunctional elements in it, and I really identified with feeling like I need to get to some place safe. And so, uh, you know what, one of my favorite aspects of the show was when they were in danger When a threat came their way, no worries, because they had this, a force field. (laughs) All right? Now, look at that. Would you be afraid if you had that wonderful technological um, marvel at your hands? Well, to me, and the coolest sound effects in the world, when they turned it on, you just knew nothing's going to come through that force field, you know? And so, you know, and they'd always do this thing where they'd flip the switch because the monsters are coming, right? And they flip the switch and then there'd be a spark and smoke and, and it's like, oh, no, a, a short, you know? And, and, and the music is building and the monster's coming and there's always, they knew how to play it, right? Until the very end and then suddenly you're like, are they gonna make it? Is it gonna come on? And there he was. And he would touch the, the, the force field and uh, they were safe, you know. But nine times out of ten, you didn't know that until the next week because just when you were wondering what's going to happen, the mu- music is building, the fr- everything would freeze, and then you would see this little... Do you remember that when they used to do that to us? I think they passed the law against that now. <laughs> there was a public outcry. Oh, man, and so... Yeah, thank you for that. And, and, and so I, I really resonated with that. I started to imagine in my young mind that I had a force field like that because sadly, I needed one. There was substance abuse and violence and a lot of chaos, but no worries because I'd go into my bedroom and I would flip the imaginary switch and I'd hear the sound effect happen and I would pretend 
that my force field was on. Well, you know what? I've got some good news for you. In the Bible, it talks about a different kind of force field, but a force field nonetheless. Invisible, spiritual, a protection. In fact, it's called a shield of protection. And so we're going to take a look at that because it's something we all need, especially right now in these troubled times. And so here we go. Here's what I'm talking about. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Praise be, blessed be, praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great overflowing abundant mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, until you see his face, the second coming or the rapture. Verse 6, in this knowledge, you can greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer griefs of all kinds of various troubles and testings and tribulations. Now these have come, God allows this, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's commendation for you for the right attitude through the fires. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Now let's talk about this wonderful uh, passage. It's wonderful, well-loved. Just, I've got good news for you, believer. Your force field is on. If you've come to Christ and you are his child, and not only is it on this morning, it has been on the moment you said yes to Jesus Christ and you received the gospel, the Holy Spirit has come on board. Now, as evidence that your force field has been properly working and not shorted out, you're here despite the nun's fire, the tub's fire, the pocket fire, the atlas fire, the Oakmont fires, and any other fire that swept through and still kind of smoldering, doing some damage out there. But you have gathered together this morning in spite of your troubles, in spite of the troubles of the fire and other troubles that we know not of, You've gathered together with God's people to enjoy his love, to serve him, to trust him, to sing his praises, and to be filled with inexpressible and glorious joy because we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. In other words, we're going to heaven. So whatever's going on in this life with the temporal things... The eternal things, the things that matter, my soul and the destiny of forever with me is guarded, protected, and way beyond any vulnerability here on earth. We're going to talk about some of the things that matter. That The Bible says, hey, listen, the fires of earth and the fires of hell, Jesus said, cannot prevail against my People, In fact, not only will they not destroy you, and here's the catch with God. He says, they won't hinder you. Fiery trials, which I allow in your life, with the right cooperation on your part, they will actually advance you, advance the gospel, work for your good, and help you, not hinder you. Now, that takes some adjusting of our perspectives and some command of our emotions 
to follow not the prompt of fear, but the cue of scripture, because we are people of faith. We do not live by sight. We walk not by sight, but by faith. The things that we see are temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal and of very more value. So let's get busy. We've got some things to talk about with this well-known and well-loved passage. Uh, There are three wonderful truths in this beautiful paragraph. Uh, Number one, he says, hey, heads up, Christians, even though they were suffering. The context, I'll tell you about it. They were suffering way worse than anyone in the room. I'll tell you about that. He says, listen, sufferers, we are born into a living hope. Number two, he says, and we're protected by God. You have an inheritance. And he says, until that hope is fully realized, until you're in his presence face to face, eye to eye. Wow. He says, you're being prepared. By these very troubles, you've come to hate and despise. They're actually, they're your friend. They can be. They can be friendly. Because with God and your right attitude, he's going to refine you and you'll come through better and proven. Not only to those around you, but to yourself. You say, wow, look at I really did get saved. I've got the real deal. And so those are, for just short, uh, born into a living hope, protected by God, and prepared, being prepared for heaven. So let's take verse 3 and dive in to a new birth, a living hope. Let me just say right off the top, I just really wish I would have grasped this a little earlier. I would have come to Christ sooner, I believe. I heard the gospel But I didn't understand. This is what I thought it was. I thought it was some new philosophy of life. You know, you change, you stop being bad, and you start being good. You do good deeds. You walk old ladies across the street. You you sing songs in church. And mostly, I thought you just stop doing the, the bad things, which were all the things I wanted to do, and start doing these good things, uh, none of which I desired to do. And so I was repelled by it. Nobody told me, nobody told me that this is a supernatural encounter when the Holy Spirit is knocking at the door of your heart through the gospel, that when you say yes, you open your heart, nobody said the Holy Spirit will come into you and change you. You will not be the old Ross who loves to do the wrong thing and hates to do the right thing. You will be this new person who wants to say, you uh, wants to praise God instead of blaspheme God's name, who want to have self-control instead of being immoral, who will love telling the truth instead of falsehood. Nobody told me about this new creation that still is me, but a new birth born from above, something that God breathes into a dead, sinful life that's empty. That's what it means to have a living hope. And that's the living hope, he says, for which we praise God. There's no uh, surprise to me that it starts out with, praise God, blessed be his name. In the midst of Rome burning, Nero, AD 64 is when Peter wrote this. Nero, this prototype of an antichrist, in fact, the early Christians thought he was the antichrist, so hated the gospel, so hated the Lord, so hated that there was another king to which people would not uh, bow to him over. He was so miserable, he, he sends his henchmen out and they light up Rome with fire that sweeps through Rome, and then he starts the rumor the Christians did it, which started the worst, fiercest persecution our people have ever known and perhaps will ever know. They would drag us out of our homes and say, are you going to praise Caesar as Lord, Nero as Lord? No, I will not. Then you will light the candles of his garden parties and they would take the Christians and use them as living torches but he says no problem 
because you have a living hope that cannot be extinguished by the fires of hell. So go ahead. What can Nero do to you? That's what he's saying. He's saying, what can, you can praise God because what can Nero do? He can kill your body, and then after that, what's he going to do? That's not cavalier. That's Christ's words. He says, don't fear the one who can kill just your body, and then after that has nothing left to do to you. But that takes some adjusting of our minds. He says, your soul is safe with me. And so Peter has a favorite word. They all seem to have a favorite word. Paul's favorite word is faith, and I could see why. You just have a pinch and you can move mountains. Without faith, you're not going to be saved, right? And so, but with faith, all things are possible. So I get that. Paul's word is faith. John's word. You know what John's word is? Uh, is. Of course, go ahead, say it. Love. love. You're right. It's love. You know, and I get that too. Because without love, uh, it says in the Bible, you are a big, fat zero. Nothing matters. No matter. <laughs> I'm sorry to put it that way. <laughs> and I just feel like we're having a conversation, me and you. And, and so, yeah, uh, with, uh, without love, you're a nothing, uh, but uh, it's love that really opens the doors to eternal life and spares you from a fate wor- worse than death. That's generated for God so loved the world. So I get John, love. But Peter, his favorite word is hope. He's all about the hope. But it's a noun. It's not a verb. So, so when you use uh, when do you use hope in the Bible? It's not a, a verb that I will, I, I'm hoping it doesn't rain on my wedding day. Well, you know, uh, it's nice to hope that, but it might, right? Uh, the biblical word of hope is very different. It, it's a future reality that has to come to pass. The only question about it is when, not if. And so he's, he's saying, you've got this spirit born from heaven, this God essence thing called the Holy Spirit that's, that's come inside of you, and that's the part, and it's joined to you. It breathed on the real you, and you came up and alive and wedded to Christ's death and resurrection and ascension in that you are already seated with Christ because you're in Christ in heavenly places. So Nero touched that. Nero can't touch that. Tubbs fire can't touch that. Divorce can't. Cancer can't. That's the point of Christianity and the good in the, in the, in the phrase good news is that what God has to give the world can't offer and the world can't take it away from you. But if you're all wrapped up in the stuff of here and now and your health and this and that and you want everything to um, sit up straight and fly right, then, <laughs> and if this is all you got, then you're in trouble because uh, this world and everything in it is passing away. And he says, that is why you can praise be to the Lord. So that word comes from a word that we, we use, eulogize. So eulogy at a memorial service is when you speak well of the departed, right? To eulogize somebody. That's the word. So he's saying, speak well of God. Praise his name. Even though they're using your dad, they used your dad as a torch. Okay, this is terrible. We will weep with you. This is a horrible thing. But there's something deeper going on that 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 they couldn't take away from your dad and you will see your dad do you see there's something bigger and eternal going on here eulogy through the fires even though in spite of all of this because of his great mercy in other words because you're saved because of the reality of heaven that you're not going to hell that even though you're hurting in this life the, the heavenly realities that are in store for you, kept by God's power, should help you to cope with the pain and suffering of this life. For, you know, 
Why grumble against him when things go wrong? We're the ones who started the fire. We started the fire. Everything bad that's ever happened to you is our fault as human beings. Everything, nothing bad that's ever happened to you has anything remotely to do with God. God made a world. He made us. He gave us peace and harmony and joy. And he looked around and said, this is very good. Then he says, just don't join sides with the devil. You wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to disobey me because in the day you disconnect from the source of life is the day you die and bring a curse on everything. And they did that. So the spark for the Tubbs fire started 6,000 years ago in a garden when two people related to us, our parents, said, to heck with you and, and, and what you said. We're going to do things our way. <laughs> What's the first spark, man? And then every disease, every tsunami, every volcano, every earthquake, every car accident, it turned creation on its heels, upside down, inside out. And then God, in mercy, says, I'm going to step into your train wreck, into your fire that you started, that you deserve, and I'm going to put my son through that fire to make a way out for you guilty people. I'm going to condemn the innocent one so that I can let the guilty party off the hook. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Amen. That is a pretty good deal. Therefore, though you're in pain, praise be to God, eulogize him, say good things about him. Let me show you something. I asked permission to show this text. I've been corresponding with Missy Calvi and Logan and Cassie through the whole ordeal. And Pastor Jonathan was actually up in St. Helena with them. But he survived the night, Richard did. And then I woke up, and the first thing I did was just text, How, how's our boy doing? And here's the text. Good morning, how did Richard do through the night? Brother, my brother just passed away. Oh, so sorry. Brother, God is so good. Mother's in the thread all the time. I call her, she can't even talk to me because she's overcome with grief. It had just happened. I prayed with her. But I just want to show you how to eulogize God in your pain, in your shock, in your dismay, in your grief, to be able to say, you know what? And look at the wording. God is still, even though... I don't have all the answers. I don't know why. I'm looking at my mom. She's, she's a mess. We serve the Lord. We were praying. And he says, but I'm going to say a eulogy. God is still good. And mom chimes in, who taught him that kind of attitude all the time. When my son lives, when my sons die. When the house stands, when the house goes down. When the doctor says, oh, clear. Or when the doctor says, hmm. He's good. What good does it do to accuse God of wrongdoing? Yes, we hurt. Yes, we have grief. Yes, we have questions. But we do it in a reverent way where we still eulogize. And guess what? We take control of our thoughts, our thoughts and the little self-absorbed toddler inside of us who's always doing this. We are the parents. We are the born-again parent of that sinful nature who wants to say terrible things and doubt and say, hey, if you're going to take away my home in bankruptcy, then I'm not going to serve you anymore. That's the toddler speaking. And someone has to be the grown-up to say, God is good. He loves me. He's going to work all things for my good. He's with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. I'm going to turn my heart to heaven and trust him. Though he slay me, Job said, yet will I trust him. Amen? Amen. Amen.
That's how you do it. Do not not thank you for that text there. So, uh, yeah, do, do not go the other way. So he says, we, we, instead of getting a, a death sentence imposed, we get this inheritance. And now he wants to talk to us about the, what's connected to this living hope, and it's called this inheritance. Let's read that, four through five. So here's this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you, not by you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power, not your willpower, until the coming of salvation, until you see him. He's going to get you there in one piece. He promised. He told the disciples, remember. I love it. Matthew 10. He says, oh, by the way, they're going to kill me, and they're going to kill some of you. And he says, no No worries. Not a hair on your head will be harmed. You know, I say that a lot because that just has always fascinated to me. I just can picture them looking at each other like, he just said, we're going to get our heads cut off. And then he says, no worries. Not a hair on your head will be harmed. What? How can it not be harmed if it's not on my body? <laughs> uh, he says, because your soul is with me. Your soul is with me. So what does it mean to have an inheritance from God? Well, wow. This is beyond words. Remember when he says inexpressible joy? Inexpressible, the word means, sorry, there are no words. Greek, Hebrew, can't tell you, can't talk about it. It's a joy, it's glorious, but there's no words for it because you're going to heaven and you're going to be with God. An inheritance. Wow. Okay, so when he says inheritance, he means everything associated with the kingdom of God that involves you. So in other words, um, the rapture, that you're not appointed to wrath. He says, don't worry about nuclear wars and all of that. He says, if the day of the Lord starts, you're not going to be in it because I have not appointed you to wrath. That's part of your right as a children of, a child of God it's part of the inheritance package the bennies here's part of the benefits all right uh, okay we are God's beneficiaries we are we have an inheritance that makes us heirs and you know where I'm going with this we are heirs of Christ we are joint heirs with Christ Okay, you need to be doing that. Ready? Go ahead, try it. Okay, let me show you where I join heirs with Christ. Try to put this in your thinker. And if we are God's children, made so through receiving him, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and joint co-heirs with Christ. Provided you're really a Christian and you're picking up your cross and following him, then you're the real deal because as we suffer in this life, we'll also be glorified with him. <laughs> I had a, a friend who said to me, What's, uh, I said, hey, what do you do? And he said, oh, well, I, I asked him, where do you live, actually? And he was getting to that question. And he said, uh, I'm, I'm bi-coastal. I live in Pacific Heights six months of the year. And I live on Park Avenue the other six months of the year. And I said, oh. <laughs> you know what I was thinking. Must be nice. Uh, <laughs> what do you do? And he says, I have a benefactor. Now, if I would have had an iPhone, I would have looked the word up. <laughs> he says, I, 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 he says I, I'm an heir. So I, I just, uh, there's family money. And then I said, another one of those, oh, <laughs> wow. You, you know, and, and I wanted to, but I did not say this. All right. Yes, I know. All about your dad's money. You know what? I have a father, too. <laughs> okay. And my father, not just the founder of some company, my father's the founder of heaven and earth. And he created the universe, and he's bequeathed it all to me and you. First Corinthians 3, we are heirs of God, and quote, all things belong to you. All things. 
So when you get there, you're going to realize, wow, I didn't quite understand how good it was going to be. But, you know, heirs of God, that should have given you a clue. Because an heir of a rich guy here, wow, when he comes into it, whoa, right? But he's saying everything that belongs to Jesus, who is God. He is the second person of the Godhead. Here's what it says to you. Here's what it says to you from tubs, fires, and everything else. He says, listen to me. Everything that belongs to Jesus as the Son of God belongs to you. That's why he says, joy unspeakable. I can't understand that. I'd be happy just escaping hell and give me a little, you know, a closet, a broom closet up there somewhere. I'll, I'll sweep the streets of gold and be really happy, right? But he says, no, you're my son. You're an heir of God. You're joint, joint heirs with Christ. Come on. You can get through the fire. You can get through Nero. Tell the devil, bring it on because you can't touch what matters most because it's kept by God. You can go back to the verse. Here's what he says. He says, A, what God has for you, you and what God has for you, A, it can never perish. That means it's not subject to decay like everything else is around here, and it's unable to be worn out by the passage of time. B, it cannot spoil. Now, the word is kind of confusing here. It means it can't be defiled. What he's saying is your benefactor the one who's in charge of the estate and you being the heir cannot be corrupted by sin. So in other words, he's really saying this, that sin and the devil cannot spoil this arrangement. That's what it means. And spoil is a good word for it. And, and then see, he says, this cannot fade away. In other words, the wow factor of heaven the wow factor, <laughs> a city where John's trying to use human words to tell you, oh, you know, diamond, amethyst, uh, emerald, sapphire, that's a just shining, coming down, uh, crystal sea, cherubim, seraphim. This, this glory starts talking about the gates. He says, that, are, are they made of pearls? No, they're not made of pearls. They are pearls. Well, how can you have a gate of one pearl? That's the kind of thing an heir of God will come into. And that's just a gate and the streets and walls. That's all we're talking about. We're not talking about the eyes of blazing love from the one who spoke and the universe leaps into existence. That one with the, with the scars that were engraved with your name on it, with eyes of kindness and and, and fiery love and mercy for you. And you get to see him in express, inexpressible joy. We are beneficiaries. It's already starting, but not yet. And he says, I'm going to get you there all the way. And he says, listen, you are, this whole, your inheritance is kept by God for you. Look at that, people. It's not kept by you. It's kept for you by God. Heaven has vouchsafed your inheritance. He's going to make good on it. He says, boy, if it, was, if it was left for you, do you know the word kept there means to RSVP? Here's what he's saying. God started the work in you, gave you new birth, and then God himself RSVP'd for you to heaven, God's saying, they're coming. He's coming. He's guaranteeing that you're going to be there. Hey, when God RSVs peace for you, you're going to be there. That's the point there. He's made reservations. He's the one who started it. He sustains it, and he completes it. And you are going hell or high water. You're going to be at that table at the wedding feast. You're going to be in that house where he says, there's plenty of space in my father's house. You're going to be there. You're going to be in his administration. Why? Because God Almighty has RSVP'd for you and sent it in himself and stamped it with what? His own blood. 
They're coming. Why? Based on what? Kept by their own willpower, sustaining by their own good works? No. I'm keeping them. Shielded by whose power? Shielded, look at that. Force fields up. (laughs) Shielded by the power of God. That is one of the most comforting verses in the Bible. It's a force field that's never turned off. He says, until you see his face, it's a shield. But get this. <laughs> that word, shielded by God's power, it could mean guarded, but I, I copied it for you because it's, it's going to blow your mind what the word means, to be kept safe by God's power. Here's the quote, because it's so encouraging. The context of shielding by God's power shows that the word can mean both kept from escaping and protected from attack. And perhaps both kinds of guarding are intended here. God is preserving believers from escaping out of his kingdom, and he's protecting them from external attacks. Shielded only gives one half of the sense. You are going. He's RSVP'd. It's not based on your behavior. A lot of things are based on your behavior. You can get there with no or little reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15. But if God's spirit got inside of you in a genuine, born-again, living hope, that living hope, you cannot even sabotage it. You can make a mess of your life and hurt a lot of people and incur his chastisement. And lose your reward. But you're going. You will be there. Because he guaranteed it. And how do I know that? Look, keep that up there. I need that. (laughs) How do I know that this is true? He keeps you from escaping. Of course he does. Of course he does. You would have escaped a long time ago. How do I know that? How do I know that? (laughs) There's ten commandments. You still want to break half of them. (laughs) And given the right moment, you will. You will, and then you'll ask forgiveness. But your heart is always trying to sabotage what God is trying to do. Your sinful nature never stops fighting. You are prone to wander to escape. And if it was left to you, you would. But guess what? He has a flaming sentry, a guard set over you because you are an heir. You have a living hope. You have been born not of yourself, but of the Holy Spirit of God. And you are not going anywhere. You're go- except to the wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're going to be there. You're going to be there, people. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's move on. I'm excited about that. (laughs) So before we go on a little bit more, he says, look, you can't even sabotage it, you know? And I think there's a little bit of resistance here, and I'm just going to say what's on my heart. Because you and I are proudful, prideful. We want to think that surely that can't be true because I have to merit something. Oh, sorry, you don't. You, uh, you know what you bring? You bring nothing but trouble. You bring, you, you bring your sin, your weakness, and that's what qualifies you. And, and the reason why we can't, and we have a hard time, well, wait, really, I really can't mess it up? Yeah, you really can. You, did you merit it? Do you sustain it? Was it your idea? Did you initiate it? No is the answer to all of the above, theologically speaking. Therefore, it is quite possible that he has his hand so much upon you that he prevents you from destroying yourself and leaving him. There's nothing you can do. So come peacefully. (laughs) Now, if you don't know him and you think you do, and now you're encouraged to do whatever you want, Oh, all bets are off. And so when you get there, well, Pastor Ross said, yeah, no, no, no. no. 
All right, listen, you can't drown it, you can't behead it, you can't burn it up, you can't nuke it apart, you can't steal it, you can't bankrupt it, and you can't legislate against it because it's God. And his plan will not be thwarted. Okay, let's finish up. With all this in mind about your future reality, let's talk about the fiery ordeal that's causing them a lot of pain. In this you greatly rejoice. So now for a little while, you, you, you're going through it. You're hurting. You've got a lot of troubles, that word. So these have come in part because God's testing and refining you. And if you handle it well, guess what? There's going to be praise, glory, and honor when you see Christ. So here's some real motivation for having the right attitude and eulogizing instead of disparaging him, though, and, and get a hold of this. He says, though you haven't seen him, I have, he says. I, I mean, I saw him before, and then I saw him after. But you guys, what, what, what blows Peter's mind is this. You guys don't even know. I mean, I, I walked on the water with his gaze on mine. But you guys haven't even seen him, yet you love him. And even though you haven't seen him, you trust him. Wow. And why is that? He's saying because you and your soul know that you're receiving the goal of your faith, which is salvation. You sense the love of God, the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting. You get it. And so that is what's causing you to be able to have this inexpressible joy, even though Nero's killing you. Now, how can, you, how can he call you to say, hey, uh, you greatly rejoice? It means you have joy simultaneously with the grief of Nero's fires. Well, there's a good sermon illustration that kind of helps us with this. Ocean currents. Ocean currents. I did a little reading on this. Pretty interesting. Category five hurricanes, when they sweep toward an area, the surface down about 300 feet, the currents go with the flow of the wind and the storms. But below, two or three miles below, there's a counter current that runs the opposite direction. It's called a submarine river. It's called a conveyor belt of uh, these, a flow of water that's like a conveyor belt. Why? Listen, because it has nothing to do with the surface. The surface could be going wild and chaotic and all of this, but miles below in a deep place, there is order, there's a, a peaceful flow, there is something undeterred by the horrific storm above. And I really like this. It speaks to me. Because when you've got a Category 5 above, you're tempted to go in the flow of that. He says, if you want peace, you can flow at the same time the Category 5 is going off this way, and you're grieving. You've lost somebody. Of course, you're in pain. Go. You have to go with it. We don't deny our feelings. We weep with those who weep. But at the same time, the paradox of the Christian life is that in the moment of pain and suffering and loss, at the same time, we are able to counterflow in the hopeful direction of a living hope that has nothing to do with the realities of temporal, earthly difficulties, but everything to do with a life untouchable. So if you want that peace, you're going to have to find it. And you know where to find it? Not on the surface. You won't find it on the surface. You'll have to go deep. And you'll find that flow of joy. When you quiet your soul, you go into your prayer closet, you go for a walk, in the, uh, a hike in a beautiful place with your Bible. And you go deep. Or you serve. Somebody come in here to bring in supplies and money. They lost their home. They lost everything. And they come here and they say, oh, we just want to serve. We want to give. We wrote a check. And here we've got these tough 
stuffed bears for kids. And uh, dude, your kid needs stuffed bears, but they're giving. See, that's a way to go deep. And he got back in his truck. He did not feel resentful. He didn't feel lonely or dejected by God or God's not hearing. He was overflowing with joy because out of his pain, he's serving God and eulogizing God and praising God. And God just pours in on that. And he says, that kind of response, when you're hurting and I'm testing your faith, it's everybody gets tested. But the Christian who eulogizes God when God's allowing all things to work perfectly for you. What kind of test is that? Everybody's going to pass that test. God's delighted in finding people who will trust him when every cell in your being is in pain and uncomfortable. And then you eulogize him. That just makes him want to send a, a beautiful, redemptive earthquake. So when the guys are in jail in Philippi and their backs have been... <laughs> flayed open, they've been beat with rods, <laughs> they're in a dungeon, shackled, they're in Philippi, and they eulogize, they start <laughs> praising God, and God gets so happy, he shakes the place, he rattles it, and their chains fall off, and he's preaching a sermon, folks, that when you are tested, and you respond in the proper way to have faith, to trust, even though your heart is on fire with grief, that you're still able to give some praise to God and walk with him and obey him and love him and not abandon the faith because things didn't go your way. He says, I'll free you up. Oh, those chains have come off. The prison doors open themselves. <laughs> and, and that's just God preaching a sermon. That's all that is, just saying, follow that, their example, because that really will result, listen, to, in praise, glory, and honor. Look at him. He's saying, let God test your mental. Are you fake? Are you a fake Christian or not? You only know what's in a guy's pockets when you turn them upside down and shake them up. Then you find out what's inside the guy's pockets, and you don't know what a true Christian is until you turn up the heat a little bit. I've got a picture of something in, in a mile from our house, which is standing, our house. But I've got a, a picture of a vase that I, I was just driving by taking pictures for Facebook just to post them. And, and this is just sitting there on some guy's uh, front porch. And, it, and, and, you know, listen, he might have wondered, is this fake porcelain or is it real? Guess what? It's real. <laughs> it's real, okay? And it's probably worth something. I'm surprised nobody has come and taken it, you know? But there are National Guardsmen standing there with a gun. That could be the reason. Listen, he's refining you. And then who? God already knew the results. You find out. Whoa. Wow. I really am saved. And then all the good things that come about as being refined in the fire, all the good things. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Not only in our own character, in our faith, being drawn to him, but the gospel gets advanced. Philippians 1.12, he says, what happened to me? These terrible things? It just advanced the gospel. So I was in Pete's, and on Saturday before the fire, I handed a track. I carry tracks now. I just enjoy it. And I, I, I got John 3.16 track to the barista at Pete's. She said, thank you. Boy, I've been interested in things like this lately. And I said, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works with God. You know, you always hit the right person. And, and so I came in last week, and she says, oh, you're, you gave me that thing about God. And then the fires came. And, I, and she says, I think there's a connection. I said... <laughs> You think? <laughs> and then she said, yeah, I'm still displaced and evacuated. Well, somebody gave me cards to give to people who were hurting, right? So I had a couple cards on me, pulled out the card, and was able to minister her, to her from The Rock, right? And so now I've told her about The Rock before, and then she, she got the track, 
that you connected to the, whoa, God was trying to get my attention and I'm still in pain. And here's the rock coming in to say, we love you. Use this, buy some things, be comfortable. Uh, our neighbors, our neighbors are coming over. They're hugging us. They're hugging us. Can I have a hug? It's like, whoa, yes. You can have more than a hug. I've got a trap for you, you know, or something. <laughs> I didn't, I resisted the temptation to do that. But I'm just saying, listen, if we stop and we have the right heart, I told, I told somebody this who was struggling, not from our fellowship. I have not met one from our fellowship that has a problem in this area. I'm sure we do. But they were not. And um, I said, listen, do you want to fast forward the healing or do you, do you want to delay it? Do you want to fast forward the blessing in the restorative time? Or do, you, or, or do you want to hinder it? Here's how you hinder it. They're getting all tripped up and blaming and pointing fingers and say, you know, I have this problem, this problem, this problem. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. God doesn't listen anyway. Now listen, in the, in the months ahead that God could be ministering to you, connecting you, using you, he has to spend his time and energy getting that out of you and helping you and healing you. So which do you want? Do you want to fast track out of all of our difficulties? And this is so true with all of our difficulties. There's a fast track and there's the 40 years in the desert. <laughs> do you know it would have taken them 11 days? Did you know that? 11 days to the promised land. Instead, it took them 40 years. Why? They were on the 40-year plan. <laughs> oh, you know. oh, we're going to die of thirst. We're all going to die. He's brought us out in the wilderness to die. We should just kill Moses and get a different leader. <laughs> oh, we remember the onions and the garlic and the fish fries. Do you remember the slavery, too? Yeah, no, that took 40 years to bang out of them. No, come on. So I'm just saying, so... Oh, thank you for that. They're probably used to that. Listen, you're safe. I've got, speaking of safe, do you have that picture? The gun shop. Listen, this is his point. Let the fire come, folks. Let it happen. You're safer than Fort Knox, okay? You're, you're going to survive whatever it is because God Almighty, by his power, has a shield about you. He's given you a living hope. It can never die. He's keeping a place for you and making sure you're going to get there because it's by his power he shields you until you see him face to face. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your we thank you, Lord, for the fires and all of them. I mean, I'm not just talking about tubs. I'm talking about tr troubles uh, for bad news from the doctor, from relationships gone sideways, from troubles at work, problems with money, yeah, all of that. Lord, we just thank you that you're refining us through these difficulties and, and you have our best interests at heart and nothing in all creation can separate us. Just keep our focus on that, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.